My name is Bond, James Bond. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Caprell. No, don't worry. We're not going to be talking about James Bond movies today. But uh, the subject is all about bonds, which I'm going to get to here in just a little bit because bonds have been in the news lately. Some of you who have bonds in your portfolio may have noticed that they're actually providing a negative rate of return this year, which for a lot of people seems completely unheard of. I'm going to explain to you it's completely normal. But not all bonds are created the same, so we're going to be getting into that into great detail. My name is Dan Capril. This is the Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast, where every week we attempt to take that which is perceived by many to be complicated and make it sound easy, because it often is. Personal finance is not nearly as complicated as people want to make it. So I wanted to give you a little insight on something that's been happening lately with me. I mentioned it in a past episode. But my wife and I just recently sold our home, our family home, if you will. Uh, We only have one child, but um, it's still a good size home. And you can imagine after 31 years of marriage, uh, you accumulate a fair amount of stuff. And we sold our home almost on a whim because we had heard that the housing market in Cincinnati had picked up. And we had heard that homes like ours, four bedroom, three car ranch, are rare and desirable. So we thought, okay, what the heck, let's do this. And it doesn't cost anything to list your home. And amazingly, it sold in a weekend. Actually, more like the first couple hours, to to tell you the truth. So that obviously put us in a little bit of a scramble mood, or mode, I should say, where we had to figure out where we're going to go and what are we going to do. The plan had been to move downtown, downtown Cincinnati. I had always wanted to live in an urban setting. My wife, not so much. We did reach a very good compromise, and I'll get into the compromise probably at a later episode. But what I wanted to talk about today briefly was just this issue of stuff and how easy it is to accumulate and how now that I live in a much smaller environment, how nice it is. There's so much less confusion. I'm going to do an episode on this. It's, uh, there's a movement afoot called minimalism. You, you may be familiar with it. And no, I'm not trying to convince anybody to go live in a you know 600 square foot home. But clearly, we accumulate a lot of stuff in our lives. A lot of it we don't use anymore. Other people could use it. And it actually creates a lot of stress. And certainly in my case, wondering where we we're going to put everything. And, and really, in, in Beth's case, even probably even more so. That really was a challenge. And now that we have reduced things dramatically, not nearly as much, and again, I'll get into that in just a little bit, but I heard recently, I read this article that said that there are more storage facilities in the United States than there are McDonald's, Subways, and Jack in the Box combined. Think about that. That just shows you the issue we have with our stuff. So minimalizing things can be nice. Um, I'm sure you've all heard the adage, if you haven't worn something in the last year, get rid of it. That can go towards other things too we have in our life, other things that we accumulate. I have a friend who, if you go in his garage, I kid you not, is loaded with carpet squares and corks. That's right, (laughs) carpet squares and corks. He used to be in the carpet industry. He's kept every single sample square he's ever had. He has no idea what he's going to do with them, but he keeps them. And his wife, for whatever reason, has collected thousands and thousands 
the bottle corks. They need to watch that movie, Minimalist. (laughs) So before we get on with today's show, I need to give our weekly disclaimer. Chances are I don't know you. I might, but I might not. So if I don't, if I'm not your advisor, please do not take anything that I'm going to share with you on today's show as advice for you. And in fact, if you are a client of mine, please call me before you follow through on that advice. The purpose of this program is always to be educational, is to give you good ideas, but you have to build on them and you don't want to take something I say out of context or just assume it applies to you. Always make sure you get proper advice going forward. So in our problem solver segment, this is where we try to take that which is perceived by many as complicated and show you, you know what, it's really not all that complicated. It's really quite simple uh, once you understand the basics. And today we're going to talk about what is probably one of the least sexy items of personal finance, but it's an extremely important one. And that's the issue of fixed income in your portfolio, specifically bonds. So let me explain a little bit about what a bond is, how they work, and how their values can change. A bond is essentially a loan. It's a loan that you make or an investor makes to either a government or a corporation. Now, unlike a bank loan, most bonds are interest only with a balloon payment. So let's say, as I look out my window here, I'm actually recording this from my apartment, I can see the corporate headquarters of Procter & Gamble. Now, Procter & Gamble is constantly building factories all over the world for the things that they manufacture. Uh, Coffee certainly is one of the things. I believe they have the Folgers brand, if I'm not mistaken. So let's just assume that Folgers has decided that they're going to build a new coffee plant in Colombia. They need to raise the money to do it. Now, they're not going to go to a bank to get that money. The bank uh, is not going to really want to lend them that much. And secondly, the interest rate that the banks will charge will probably be higher than what Procter & Gamble is hoping to pay. So instead, Procter & Gamble will issue a whole bunch of IOUs. Now, they may be in $1,000 increments, $5,000, $100,000. It doesn't matter. They can set the terms. And they will agree to pay an interest rate on those for a number of years. Let's say it's 10 years. Then after 10 years, they will look to pay back the loan. So if it was a $10,000 bond paying, say, 3%, you would receive $300 a year every year for 10 years. And at the end of the 10 years, you would get your $10,000 back. That's how a corporate bond works. That's how most government bonds work. Now there are variances, but in general, it's an interest only payment. And then you get your balloon payment back. All right. Now, if I have one of these IOUs, so let's say I hear Procter & Gamble is going to do that. And I go over to their office and I give them 10,000 and they give me back a bond certificate and they agree to pay me interest every single month or every quarter, actually. You take the annual and divide it up in quarterly. It's usually how they work. What if, though, after maybe two or three years, I need the $10,000 back? Yeah, I just can't wait seven more years to get my money. Can I go over to Procter & Gamble and ask them to give me the money back? No, they will not give me my money back. I have a contract with them. That contract says that I will wait a full 10 years. It's only been three, so I have to be patient. Or I could convince another investor to take the bond off my hands. Give me $10,000, 
and you'll receive 3% for the next seven years, and then you'll get your $10,000 back. And there are some investors who potentially might be willing to do that. All right, so all is good in bond land. But let's say Procter & Gamble decides they want to build another coffee plant. This time they want to build it, say, in Brazil. And for whatever reason, they can't convince investors to give them enough money at 3% to build the plant. They can't raise enough. So what are they forced to do? They're forced to increase the interest rate to entice more investors. All right. So now instead of buying a bond that pays 3%, investors can now go out and buy a bond that pays 4 Great. Now I'm sitting back here with my 3% Colombian bond, if you will, from Procter & Gamble. And I notice that my friends who have just given $10,000 to P&G are getting 4 Now, am I happy about that? Well, probably not, but a deal's a deal. I certainly could go over there and give them another 10 grand and they would give me 4%, no problem. But what if I really need to sell my bonds? My bond's paying three and I really need to sell it. What do I do? Well, again, I could try to convince another investor to buy my bond. However, that investor is very well aware that P&G is now paying 4% on new bonds. Why would they ever want to pay $10,000 for a 3% bond from the same issuer, Procter & Gamble, when they could go across the street and get a 4%. And the answer is they would not. They would not be willing to do that. Oh, they'd be willing to pay for my bond, but they wouldn't give me 10,000 for it. They'll give me less. They'll give me an amount so that the $300 interest payment results in a 4% yield. So because new bonds are paying higher interest rates, old bonds are not worth as much. Now. Keep in mind about something here. If I decide to sell my bond, I'm gonna take a loss, right? I mean, I pay 10, no one's willing to give me 10 for it. If I hang on to the bond, I don't take a loss. I keep getting my $300 and eventually I get my 10 grand back. Now, this is a very, very important point because on paper, when I look at my bond statement, it's gonna say I'm down. It's gonna say I've lost money. But have I really? Have I really lost money? Or is the statement simply telling me that if I was to sell the bond today, I would lose money? However, if I hang on to that bond until maturity, I will get back every dollar I gave Procter & Gamble. I hope that's clear because this is what we're seeing right now. We are starting to see interest rates rise. And as interest rates rise, bond values drop. Now, new bonds are not affected. It's the old bonds that drop. Does that mean you're gonna lose money forever on that bond? No, no. You'll continue to get your payments, and then when it's up for maturity, you get back your principal. Now, there's always a risk that whoever issued you the bonds might fail or something like that. Those things happen. But in just in terms of the math of paying the interest payments and then getting your maturity back, you haven't lost. You get the perception you've lost because you're looking at your statement. But in truth, you have not. All right, now, this idea of bond fluctuation occurs at different levels depending on the types of bonds you have. So if you, for example, have a bond that has a 30-year maturity, rising interest rates will cause that bond's value to drop even more than if it had a five-year maturity. 
This is why I typically recommend you keep your bond maturity short, no more than 10 years. There's no reason to. If you keep them longer than 10 years, the fluctuation that you get won't be worth it to you. If you want risk, buy stocks. Bonds are there to soften the blow. Now, when interest rates rise, bond value drops. You know what? The opposite is true. When interest rates decline, bond values rise. If I'm sitting with a 3% bond, then Procter & Gamble can raise enough money at 2%. Guess what? My 3% bond is worth a lot more than what I paid for. It's worth a lot more than $10,000. So right now we're starting to see this phenomenon. We're starting to see that, that people are uh, getting their bond statements and they're showing negative value. And naturally they're like, I thought this was guaranteed income. It is, but it's not guaranteed value on the sale of the bonds. But if you hang on to the bond until maturity, you don't have to worry about it. Now, most people don't buy individual bonds. They buy bond funds, but it works the same way. The portfolio manager who has the bonds is still receiving the interest payments. And very often, the interest over the course of a year replaces the loss in value of the bond face itself. So what you're seeing really is a snapshot. It's a moment in time. What I want to caution you against is this idea that you should not have bonds in your portfolio. As you get older, you need to create a more consistent rate of return. And in order to do that, you need to have something that doesn't move in lockstep with stocks. And that's what bonds are all about. If I could use the metaphor of a baseball team, the bonds are your pitcher. The pitcher is not a great hitter. In fact, half the league doesn't even let the pitcher hit, which I think is a shame because I think baseball is meant for everybody to play and I hate the DH, but that's a whole nother topic <laughs> for another time. But the pitcher's job is to keep the other team from hitting. No one gets upset when he strikes out. It's not his job. His job is to keep the other team from hitting. And that's essentially what bonds are doing. Their job is to keep the volatility of your portfolio down. Now, if you're unclear about this still, please feel free, reach out to me. I can be reached a number of ways, area code 513-563-7526, that's 513-563-PLAN, or email me, dan at matsonandcapril.com, M-A-T-S-O-N, the word and, and my last name, C-U-P-R-I-L-L. -L. So in today's puzzle solver assignment, this is where I give you homework stuff that you can apply to your own personal financial situation, I've put on our website, go to dancapril.com and click on today's episode, which is called Bonds. You'll see it. And I put there a download which explains bonds in much greater detail. Now, I want you to download that and I want you to figure out what kind of bonds do you have in your portfolio. Are they corporate? Are they government? Are they municipal? I also want you to find out what's the maturity date on average. Is it five years, 10 years, 30 years? Lastly, I want you to find out what is your investment grade? In other words, how financially stable are the companies who I'm lending money to? Are they incredibly stable like a Procter & Gamble? Or, you know, could they actually go out of business? Now, if they're on the verge of going out of business, or, or at least they're not as financially stable as Procter & Gamble, they have to pay you more interest. Well, I shouldn't say they have to, but they do. Because nobody would lend money to them otherwise. But here's something you need to be aware of. 
when interest rates rise, those less than stable companies, they're called high yield or junk bonds, when interest rates rise, they fall faster, simply because the cost of them servicing debt going forward is a bigger and bigger challenge. So I want to make sure you understand that. Now, in addition to that, if you don't already subscribe, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's called Your Money Jigsaw, where every week I scour the, the world of personal finance to give you the latest information. If you're not getting a copy of this weekly e-newsletter, you need to. It's very simple to get it. Just go to yourmoneyjigsaw.com. That's yourmoneyjigsaw.com. Enter your information. Boom. You're going to receive it. Like clockwork comes out every single Thursday. So that's today's episode. We talked a little bit about James Bond. We talked about the role of bonds in your portfolio. Again, if you ever have any questions, reach out to me, danadvisorarchitect.com. Get the download. The way you get the download is you just go to the website, click on podcasts, find today's episode. There's a couple ways you can get to the website. I've made it easy. Again, you can go to either dancapril.com or the company website, which is madsoncapril.com. I'll give you a couple of options there. And also sign up for Your Money Jigsaw. That is our weekly newsletter. There is a sign-up page on our website, but you can cut right to the chase if you want. Go to yourmoneyjigsaw.com. Take care, everybody. Have a fabulous week. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.